Namaste. So today we take the last, uh, this is the last talk on the synthesis of yoga series. It's like a summary and overview. So as we know that um, the live divine and the synthesis of yoga form one particular set. The live divine gives the metaphysical basis of the yoga. But this metaphysics is based on Shabindo's own direct experiences. So the um, logical reasoning proceeds from experience rather than logical reasoning building up a conclusion. So there is a difference between the two. So though that is a work of philosophy, it is um, the approach is as in Indian tradition, what darshan literally means, a thing seen. And the synthesis of yoga gives us the practical foundations. It, is, it gives us the foundations for the practice of yoga. But there is enough in this which we can take it as a you know, carry home point uh, with regard to the practice. So he elaborates uh, each and every practice which uh, is fundamental to this yoga. Uh, it's also good to remember with regard to the practice that these works have been written before 1921. And while the life divine was extensively revised which went right up to post-Second World War, the synthesis of yoga was not really revised extensively. And Shubhinda was not keen to do so. One reason why he said is that, you know, um, it was written, though he had had the experience, but he had come down to the higher mind to write all this. And he didn't want to do that again. And second reason is, the yoga slightly changed in the sense that with the coming of the Divine Mother, the yoga was centered now around the Divine Mother. We see the mention of the Divine Mother in the synthesis, but it is more as the Divine Shakti. And uh, we have seen is the same aspects uh, which is described in the Mother. But there is a little difference. So with the embodiment of the Divine Mother, it became a lot more diff- simple. And the charge of the yoga for us, all of us, was handed over to the Mother. So if one wants to understand the yoga and its practice, Eventually, it is what the mother has spoken about it. So, it, it's the same thing. It's not that this becomes meaningless. No, it's the same thing. But she fills in all the little dots and blanks which may be left uh, in the mind of the seeker. The third thing which happened is that, well, there are plenty of letters of Sri written to disciples which cover up the yoga from Every aspect, which includes both metaphysical as well as practical. So, this one must always remember when one reads this. This is a wonderful book, very inspiring, very uplifting. And uh, it, it uh, itself, my own feeling is, my own experience rather, reading this book is doing yoga. So, with this background, we can quickly go through the main contents. As we know, there are four parts of the book, but there is a introduction in the beginning which makes it five parts. But this introduction is not given a uh, part like that. So in the introduction, we have five chapters. And this deals with the conditions of the synthesis. He has used the word the synthesis of yoga. And people are likely to uh, believe, so many people still believe, that the synthesis of yoga means there are different yogic systems and he has combined them. Little bit of meditation, little bit of pranayam, little bit of hat yoga, little bit of bhakti yoga, little bit of uh, karma yoga and put them together, a little bit of raj yoga and you have the synthesis of yoga. Well, that's not so. Shubhita makes it very clear. First of all, that's impractical because each of these yoga systems which are specialized demand a total commitment. And some of these systems demand such a commitment like hat yoga, proper hat yoga. That's nearly impossible to do it faithfully even in one lifetime. So to combine these practices successively or simultaneously is not what is meant by the synthesis. So what is meant by the synthesis? Number one, it takes up the essence of all these yoga. So very often when the reader reads uh, Shirobindo from here and there passingly, he is likely to um, feel uh, that well this is the same as yoga of the Gita depending on the portions but that's not true. Because the yoga of the Gita is there, but it is not the yoga as the, of the Gita. It's not synonymous with that. Or he may feel, well, this is one of the Vedantic yogas. Or he may feel this is Bhakti yoga, or Karmi yoga, or Raj yoga, or Gyan yoga. But 
well something of all these yogas is there in it but there is something else something more which changes its very character and its eventual goal so this is the basic thing and the goal of this yoga again shubhendra makes clear today only somebody was telling me well there are different paths they all lead to the same goal well not quite so even in traditional paths it doesn't lead to the same goal unless we say in general that it leads to some kind of a god experience well that's okay we can discover the divine even in nature but uh, the divine is infinite and depending on the angle of vision we have an experience or a realization and we may well say that this is what the divine is and this is the path and this is the experience that's how cults are formed but shurbindo takes us to another level altogether all these experiences are synthesized in a very harmonious and a beautiful manner just as in god it's there are no parts that this is karma yoga this is bhakti yoga but the divine acts in the world with the freedom of infinity so in this yoga it is not this aspect that aspect all aspects are there of the divine but then all of them are not combined as this or that and that and but in a beautiful harmonious synthesis like a human being is an organic whole we can't say Uh, this is the hand this is the leg this is a way of saying but when we refer to the human being we refer to a totality a human being is hands plus feet plus heart plus brain and whatever else but there is something about the human being which puts them together and that's what makes a human being the same thing is true of god and god realizations and finally in this synthesis shobindo combines the divine realization the highest divine possibility uh, of realizing the divine and this matter and material existence this worldly life this earthly life so it is not about abandoning this earthly life not escaping from this world but integrating it with the highest consciousness in other word a change of consciousness a transformation of consciousness and along with that a completely new way of living life and uh, what that new way is of course he reveals over a course of time and that is something to be discovered by each one finally he points out in this particular set of essays that while generally when we use the word yoga we talk about vedantic systems but even in india there is not much talk about tantra tantra has fallen into disrepute because of the uh, vam marg and you know excesses which well that's a different story altogether but tantra was one of the ways that the yogis tried to synthesize nature and god so behind nature they saw cosmic powers and these cosmic powers uh, ascended in a hierarchy toward the ultimate truth so they took a different route where nature was neither strangled not stifled not just put into kind of satvik purity but they tried to explore all the deeper possibilities of nature and then they went up to the supreme the goal was mukti but through a different route so in this yoga we find a synthesis even of vedanta and tantra as shubhendra put it later on through the method of vedanta to the goal of tantra so tantra is about enjoyment but a divine enjoyment not a human enjoyment so he puts these four in this yoga shuddhi and mukti which is about vedantic yoga and then he speaks about siddhi and bhukti siddhi is the perfection and bhukti is the enjoyment part but not a human enjoyment but a divine enjoyment then in part 1 which is the yoga of divine works chapter 1 the four eights is a must read for those who want to understand uh, what are the main elements of this yoga in terms of what can help us move towards uh, this wonderful uh, or enter this wonderful mighty river Uh, or an ocean <laughs> into which we are plunged so he speaks primarily about in every yoga actually it is there this is the shastra shastra tells us what the yoga is about how to do it both these things are there in the shastra shastra and then the guru in every yoga there is the guru the lead, the teacher the master who will tell us about the yoga and then in every yoga there is that element of the disciple we may have the master we may have the book but yet if the disciple is not really interested not sincere there is no yoga shubhendra says merely living in the ashram is not enough the other day that uh, thing was circulating 
uh, one may live in the ashram one may even read the books which is a preparation one may even some level acknowledge that okay shrivindo is uh, my master or guru but yet one may not practice the yoga so yoga has to be lived and put into practice so the utsaha of the disciple and finally he speaks about time because time is the cosmic manager so it is time that shuffles everything within and outside until everything is ready so if it's it we can take it like this that inwardly one has decided that i'll go to mansarovar yatra so if you persist with this thought you will find out ways and means you will eventually go through your own endurance test you will go through the medical thing required you will uh, arrange money then you will pay the money then you will take the journey so but why because you had this plan so everything begins to take us towards that so the purpose of time the work of time is time is a trustee of the divine so all our aspiration goes into the big hundi khata of time the time notes it okay is aspiring aspiring then one day the divine sanctions done now time as the cosmic manager has to manipulate everything and that can turn the life topsy turvy even that's what he describes in the four eights that the way of the divine dealing with us humanity is not the way we the human ego wants it human ego wants pleasure and comfort zones well if one follows that then one may well land up with a miracle doing master and in fact he says that dazzling misleading lights which is very dangerous so then he reveals to us the master is within us the shastra is within us the veda is within us but when we read the external shastra it opens at some point the door and then we discover the veda the secret knowledge which is there in creation the door opens then knowledge begins to pour in so to the master shubhendra and the mother first we turn toward them externally and then a time come when we discover them within us that's why shubhendra uses the word for presence so what is a presence people ask presence is one way to define this formless form <laughs> so it is it is it is the form that the divine takes within us and yet he is formless he can take different form depending upon our own uh, approach so and then of course for the disciple he must learn to wait in patience he must develop certain qualities so these are the main ingredients of the four eights and then follow a number of chapters of which there are some key practices uh, one key practice is self consecration to consecrate consecrate is a very interesting thing it's a word so one example that comes to the mind is that uh, in old times people took things to the king and uh, the king uh, opens the you know cover you take some food eateries and all then the king looks at it touches it and then he dis- distributed to the whole praja shubhendra used the word like nazrana you know is a interesting word nazrana he has seen it nazar so like earlier during shubhendra's birthday 1913 amrita describes so everybody will sit with banana leaf and Uh, rice will be given other things will be poured then shubhendra would come stand before each one and look into the plate now it become prasad so consecration is precisely that whatever we are doing when we first offer it to the divine please look into it please see into it then it becomes prasad then it becomes purified sanctified literally it means sanctified so even when we are doing things for the ego yet because it has been sanctified it begins to take a new turn it begins to change us within of course the consecration has to develop to a point where all we do is no more for the ego we expel this ego turned consciousness and turn everything to the divine to live for the divine for the sake of the divine by the divine to belong to the divine that is the goal of self consecration and um, then he emphasizes he so beautifully shubhendra summarizes the way of the gita self surrender in works again consecration developed perfected becomes surrender so we have these three terms offering offering is in general we offer things to the divine whatever we are doing then it becomes consecration something more sanctified where we give it to the divine and say whatever you want to do with it you do 
and then surrender where completely we have entrusted whether we, whether surrender means now i obey you you may give me pleasant results painful results happy things sorrowful things i receive them all as your gifts so offering perfected becomes consecration consecration perfected becomes surrender and then we have the sacrifice which is straight from the gita yagya so sacrifice is to uh, put things all our movements and activities in the purifying fire and this fire is the psychic fire he reveals here so anyways we all live life of sacrifice people sacrifice to start with for the ego somebody wants to fulfill ambition so there are a lot of things we sacrifice but for the sake of the ego that's a ashuddha sacrifice it bears very limited results then we sacrifice for the family so even that is a very because it keeps us tied to the ignorance then there is sacrifice done with the motive of maybe some material rewards as the gita says this sacrifice also keeps us tied to the lower creation it doesn't free us and finally there is the sacrifice which is done to the divine so everything must be put into this psychic flame with the divine name upon it so remember and offer and then when we do this all these activities get purified what fire does it refines and purifies uplifts so every activity and there every activity means every activity including the work we do uh, which is professional personal there is no such distinction daily work even receiving gifts and giving gifts taking a bath shower even mere ultimately respiration and heartbeat everything should be sacrificed and when we do that this sacrifice is nothing to do with painful things it is about in fact ennobling them so sacrifice is not about giving oneself pain that oh i have to sacrifice this to the divine divine doesn't like this kind of a painful giving even a noble human being will not like it if you give something and say you know what actually this but you know i am giving it to you the any noble person will say sir please keep it with yourself thank you so much so sacrifice has to be done as an act of joy and what has to be removed that he says are these band of enemies of the spirit which are whose names are lust and anger and greed and fear and false attachment moha jealousies possessiveness these have to be removed and but otherwise as he says krishna has to be fostered inside we have to grow in joy not in pain so that's how he takes us through sacrifice a number of chapters and then as we continue with the sacrifice we will see that slowly we begin to be moved by the divine will rather than the personal egoistic will rather than by desires so nishkam karma expelling desire uh, when we expel desire restlessness ceases all restlessness comes from desire <laughs> and desire can be gross or gross rewards so subtle somebody should give a tap on the back say ah wonderful so all these desires have to be chased out and everything done for the sake of the divine so first thing is it brings peace and liberation as a jivan mukta without actually sitting in meditation it can bring liberation it does at one place the mother said to someone i met that person he used to teach hockey in the ashram school so he was telling he showed me in letter mother wrote he said that how much time should i spend in meditation work said work done rightly if you do the work rightly it will make you progress 10 times more than meditation i actually seen that letter 10 times more why because dynamically you are engaged in meditation especially when we are doing it like a blank not dynamic meditation it changes actually nothing we feel nice peace zone inside but we come out unchanged human being so in this yoga work becomes a dynamic meditation if you want to put it like that so he takes us through all this and how through this royal grand trunk road of the path of works we can touch that point where the super mind the divine consciousness the omniscience omnipresence of the divine omnipotence of the divine takes up all the works and then the person is not even an instrument or a channel but simply Uh, a mode of manifestation of the divine so this is how uh he he uh, beautifully this first part which is about the yoga of divine works then there is the yoga of integral knowledge and uses the word integral knowledge in the sense 
that uh, merely knowledge of self-knowledge, self-realization of God who is transcendent is not enough. We have to realize God in every activity, in the cosmos, in the individual, in the entire creation. So it's an integral knowledge. And for that, we have to start by purifying the understanding. Our understanding is right now clogged by many things, hundreds of preconceived notions. Even about yoga, one reason why people find difficult to understand Shirobindo. Other day, there was a very interesting discussion. So they were saying that uh, this museum I was talking about. So for uh, when we talk about yoga, what image should we depict? Um, should we make somebody sitting in meditation or this way? I said, none of this. So what image should come? I said, a potter hand which is inside a pot and shaping the pot. I said, see how many things, <laughs> pot is the human vessel that is being shaped. Second, it is in work, which is not big or small. Third is, it's the hand is the divine and we are the pot which is being shaped. So I said, in Shurabindo's yoga, because it is about divine perfection. So this will much more depict the real dynamics of the yoga than sitting in meditation or standing on one feet or two feet or three feet, whatever it be. So this is how... Uh, this is a very different kind of a yoga. But first thing is to purify the understanding. Otherwise, the moment we talk about yoga, we think about meditation. The moment we talk about meditation, we, even that we have preconceived notions. Because unfortunately, we have read too many books. Like somebody once asked me that, you know, in Kundalini, there is a snake which is two and a half feet. I said, no sir, it can lengthen to more than five feet. <laughs> now, this is a true experience, but it's not the... the you, it's not literally a snake. You actually experience the whole thing. But that's a different story. So understanding must be cleared of all these intrusions from preconceived ideas, opinions, notions, viewpoints, even emotional interference, etc., etc. Then only true understanding can come. And then the two main elements of uh, the yoga of knowledge is concentration. Concentration upon the idea helps us to realize the truth of the idea. And the best idea to meditate or concentrate upon in Shurabindu's Yoga is the divine is in all, all is in the divine and the divine is the all. So if we do that, even few minutes of this concentration is <laughs> literally mind-blowing. Okay, then renunciation. Again, renunciation is not outward. It's not sannyasa but tyaga. In the Gita. So renunciation is a very inner thing. So Sri Ram and Sri Krishna are renunciates. But look at what kind of renunciates. They are both kings, they fight the battle. And Shubhindu gives that example. That very often we in we say that we have renounced and we very subtly don a garb which appears holy in the eyes of others. Because now when you wear a certain color garb. It attracts attention. So he says it's such a subtle thing. In this yoga all show and sham have to go. The value is not what people give us but what the divine knows and he knows us in the heart. It's not what people gave and the show and sham. All this has to go. So when he speaks about renunciation it's again the ego sense and the desire which have to be renounced thoroughly. Three gunas in which we are tied they have to be renounced. Then only one goes into that state which the Gita speaks about, Trigunatit, Nistragun. And we cannot do it unless we open to a greater divine consciousness and ascend the higher planes of consciousness. All this he describes here in the yoga of integral knowledge. And he describes how we can start with the release from subjection to the body. The mind should be able to master the body. It's not like, oh, I'm feeling very hungry, I'm feeling be done. Of course, one feels hungry, one eats. But one is not enslaved to the bodily needs. The needs are there, they have to be taken care of. It's not deliberately fasting. It's not missing on sleep, no. But one is the master. Whatever is the demand of the work, one engages in that. And then the release from the heart and the mind, we know that all these, our heart, the surface heart is especially full of jealousies and you know possessiveness and all kinds of hatred very strong uh, emotions I don't know whether to call them strong or weak <laughs> full of all kinds of excesses and violences that has to be quietened so that a deeper soul of love can emerge 
and then he speaks about release from the ego. With that comes the realization of the cosmic self. So here, this um, runs through 28 chapters in which toward the end, he touches upon Hatha Yoga, Raj Yoga and Samadhi. So of course, in this yoga, we don't follow that method. But he touches upon because it's the synthesis of yoga. For instance, in Raj Yoga, or in, even in Hatha Yoga, Pranayam, Breath Mastery is important. But in Shobhinder's Yoga, it is achieved in a different way. Simply by the pressure of the mental will moving in a certain direction. And um, so, but he says, Samadhi again. Samadhi is to enter into higher planes by withdrawing from the outer waking consciousness. But in Shobhinder's Yoga, one should be able to be in contact with the higher planes without such a eye closure and withdrawal. They should open and pour through the human channel. So that's the difference. And then this beautiful eight chapters of the Yoga of Divine Love, the shortest other than the introduction, but the most beautiful. And uh, so here again, uh, the emphasis is on forming relation with the divine. So there are relations we form in our ignorance, but they are very helpful. One such relation is of prayer. And then there are relations which we form as we take to yoga. So prayer and worship, Bahya Puja, they are a way of forming relation with the divine. But it is when we are still in ignorance. As we move up, prayer is there, but it takes more and more the form of inner seeking for the divine, love for the divine, and in every which way. So in Shobhinder's yoga, it's not just guru and disciple. Shobhinder has broken all those boundaries. He is not just the guru. Of course he is that. He is not just the teacher. Of course he is that. He is not just the master. Of course he is that. He is also the father and mother and leader of the human march. He is the hero warrior in whose banner we fight. He is the lover, the paramour. (laughs) <laughs> the beloved. Even the child born to our desires. That's how Shivindo brings it. So every possible relation we form with human beings can be formed with the divine and must be formed with the divine. That is how there is a complete nourishment. The highest of these relations is of the lover and beloved. So that comes very beautifully. And um, before that, as the mother. Because uh, when we deal with the divine or turn to the divine as mother then we get rid of all shame guilt everything mama knows us through and through mama will say I know you you don't have to try to hide and become a sadhu bachya at the same time mama may slap us also but mama will pour love mama is somebody whom we can completely trust she may scold us see this is the nature of mothers she may scold us when we do something which we shouldn't do inside the house. But if somebody comes from outside, she will put us behind and defend us. <laughs> so, the relation of uh, with the divine as mother is something very unique. Uh, of course, there in Indian tradition, uh, and Shurabindo brings that out into the forefront and we know in this yoga, that is the fundamental relation which we form with the divine. The emphasis on that. And then, the main elements of way of devotion is uh, smaran, manan, uh, nididhyasan. So, the more we think about the divine, the more I would add, read about the divine. We call the divine names, we remember the divine, meditate upon the divine, the more love blossoms in the heart. So, this is the way in which uh, manan, Shravan, Shravan is first to hear the divine, like this one kind of Shravan, Shravan, Manan, to think about the divine. And then Nididhyasan, where we meditate upon the divine, call the divine name, Smaran of the divine, Darshan of the divine, that we want to see the divine, and more and more then the image becomes more and more inward. It becomes inwardly visible to us. And when we take this route, then the big thing that door opens is of Anandam Brahman, which is the ultimate. So, this is what he takes us, that this is the mystery, the delight of the divine and the divine personality. Naturally, if we believe in impersonal, this yoga is a 
no, no. Because just like the yoga of the Gita, in this yoga, implicit is that beyond the personal and the impersonal, there is the supreme personality of the infinite, which is what the Gita also says, Purushottama, beyond Shar and Akshar. So somebody who believes only in the impersonality and feels, no, 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 personal is only a way to reach the impersonal, then this is not the yoga. Because one will reach the impersonal, nothing wrong with that. But in this yoga, we take it, what the Gita says, there is the personal, there is the impersonal, and beyond the personal and the impersonal, actually everything has a personal and impersonal side. Love is impersonal, but in a human being, or anything in creation, it takes a personal form. Everything is at once impersonal, universal, as well as personal. So personal and impersonal are not two opposites, but two complementary aspects. But beyond the personal and the impersonal is the suprapersonal, infinite Godhead, the Purushottama, the Satchidanand, with whom one connects. So this is what Shubhindu reminds us and Shubhindu takes that. As, as we see, surrender is there everywhere, dedicating everything to the divine. So we cannot do all this if we take divine not as a being. But of course, his being is not a human being. Being doesn't mean wearing a beard and sitting with a rod and carrot stick. No. But being means he is fully aware of his existence. It's not just a mechanical law which is operating. But he is a self-conscious, swam being who knows himself. And he knows himself not just up there, but he knows himself in the heart of every seeker. And he knows himself in the entire creation. You can't deceive him. He is not moved by our favours. Oh, this man is doing so much chadhava. No, you can't fool him. He is not fooled by our show of holiness. He will strip the mask and say, look here. Nor is he deceived by what people may call as this person is unholy. Today, one letter of the mother, where she says, do not listen to people's opinions. I don't go by their opinion. Because the person wrote, people are thinking that I am not a very nice person. <laughs> Something like that. He said, I don't listen to these gossips and suggestions from people. I know you and you are a wonderful worker. She writes that. She, she knows what the disciple is. So all this comes and then finally part four, which is the yoga of self-perfection. And in this yoga, Shivindra tells us what really this perfection is, this word. Perfection is not just arranging things in order. That is order. It's important. Perfection is not even about organizing things very well. That is organization. So each word has a meaning. Order is good. It's nice to have things in an orderly way. When you arrange your cupboard well, we use the word perfection. It's not perfection. That's order. Very good. Organization. Things should be organized in such a way that there is smoothness of functioning as well as there is a plasticity. Very difficult to organize, but that's how the divine has organized the world. Or things should be organized in such a way that everything is in its right place. So organization is important. It's an aspect of Mahasaraswati. And then there is harmony, more difficult. But perfection is where... We, we can put it like that. Everything that is human has to start with its divine absolute. Human love, animal love, rakshasic love, asuric love, love in the plant, love in the rocks, ultimately owes its origin to divine love. Human love is not automatically same as divine love. That, that's, but that's how we mistake, oh God is so loving. Yes. So why did he create Kurushetra? That is also an act of love. <laughs> so we cannot understand the divine ways because you think, oh, he must be human love, very lovey-dovey creature sitting out there and he'll say, oh my God, so sad, this is happening to you. No, no, he doesn't, he, he, because of his love, he does what he does. Sri Krishna on the battlefield as dreadful Kali is nothing else but divine love hastening the evolution, liberating the likes of Duryodhana from the bodies in which their soul is cased. It's an act of love, tremendous act of love. Clearing the passage for a Dharma Rajya in India, Aryavarth of that time. Rendering justice to the Pandavas, all this in one go. And with everyone it is an act of love. 
he for a change after this event he opens the eyes of gandhari and dhritarashtra one is blinded by his ambition and passion and the other by a kind of blind love that if i put a bandage over my eyes i'll do better how much better it would have been if she kept her eyes open not only outer but inner and cautioned her husband that look here these children are not going in the direction that they should go she put a, so she krishna even to them it's a compassion he helped them to open their eyes and after their initial anger we see that how their life changed so this is the way the divine operates in one action there are many things involved and always it is love so each quality lifted similarly knowledge is not about reading books or writing them <laughs> knowledge is to have access to the higher states of consciousness where knowledge is found or deep within where the veda is secret in the heart of every creature so to with work so long as we think i am the doer we are far from even entering into karma yoga but when we know nature is the doer and behind nature it is the divine who is the doer and the work belongs to the divine its results belong to the divine its initiating impulse should also be the divine and not my desires then truly works are done so automatically otherwise people think if i am doing my duty i am doing karma yoga duty is a human mental moral concept necessary in ignorance but it is not synonymous as divine works so this is how every aspect of our human life and this are three main paths but every aspect love knowledge will which comes in all these three but even our gestures postures movements every little gesture that we engage in has its absoluteness in the divine when the divine smiles when the divine embraces it is very different from the human smile and the human embrace when the divine holds the hand divine even touches the feet look at sri krishna he puts his head in radha's lap so every gesture even the most mundane when he eats in the house of vidur or when he prepares a meal with even when he does pranks all of them have their divine truth and to reclaim this divine truth is one part of perfection and in that divine perfection they must be in right proportion right measure nothing exaggerated out of proportion and this divine perfection is never an individual phenomena divine doesn't act only for myself i am a perfect one he is ever engaged in works to make this creation perfect so divine perfection includes by its very nature an individual as well as cosmic fulfillment and of course the transcendent so this is the divine perfection which yogendra speaks about less than that is the human perfection which can be moral which can be ethical which can be religious which can be secular all these are nice things uh, they are evolutionary ladder or it can be very mundane that okay this person follows all the rules files all the income tax return in time is very honest he is civilized he follows all the you know so well that is okay but that is not divine perfection it's not that divine perfection starts uh, flaunting the rules he doesn't do that <laughs> but this should not be mistaken for that that is something much greater so uh, this is how he explains reveals to us what that perfection is and this perfection if it has to manifest here finding that perfection is okay but it has to manifest here then we have to understand the entire apparatus through which it has to manifest we must understand the instrumental nature we must understand how the mind operates so that the mind can open become wide plastic for the divine to manifest we must understand how the heart is distorted by the psychic prana psychic prana here is used in a very specific sense the soul of desire i feel love for that person well good nothing wrong with that <laughs> but don't take um, all these feelings must recover their deeper truth true soul of love and not the surface agitation that comes with it so he speaks about the instruments of the spirit which is essentially we have spoken about it chitta or the subconscious then 
the mind is the inner instrument so there is the body there is the heart there is the life energy and there is the mind mind is the inner instrument antakaran so that itself has these four elements there is the chitta there is the manas chitta is the subconscious impressions manas is of course the uh, sense mind then there is buddhi and there is ahankar so all these have to be purified and ahankar of course purified ahankar is like the outer shell which burst open and the true psychic individuality emerges so there is this long process of purification but the thing that shobinda emphasizes is on purification of the buddhi intelligent will because this is the highest in human beings it is creation of nature yet you take the highest lynch point lynch pin to move the whole thing so which is the highest right now in human beings is buddhi but buddhi can have a lower movement impurified where it just justifies everything that the vital desire is doing always somebody else is wrong always something else is complain and grumble or it can have a higher movement where it turns towards a higher light so purification of buddhi is important and then he puts this wonderful chapter the liberation of the spirit and liberation of the nature so nature also is not liberation of spirit we know freedom from ego ignorance desire and the gunas this liberation of the soul but what is liberation of nature nature in the three gunas operates in a lesser movement but it can also be lifted to its godhead that's what we see in savitri the triple soul purusha where each aspect is lifted to satgun is lifted to the soul of knowledge rajagun is lifted to the soul of courage and the soul of love and tamogun is lifted to the soul of endurance and peace that exists in everything so it has to be also upgraded and finally all of this has to become a beautiful bouquet around the garland around the divine mothers all these powers of nature so liberation of the nature but for that nature has to be freed from the lower elements and again they are the same things which we have spoken about and the emphasis here mainly is on equality again and again in the yoga of divine works and in yoga of self perfection shubindo emphasizes if there is one watch word its equality and all its aspect endurance is a form of equality submission to the divine will is one practice of equality so to ignore what needs to be ignored most of it stepping back all this is part of equality in the yoga of nature to learn uh, of knowledge to learn to step back from the world of nature all this leads to a you know, the growth of equality so equality means it cuts the knot of ego and desire and especially dualities otherwise the mind is ever playing between pleasure and pain good and bad and it's ever confused it thinks it is very smart it has made a smart choice to choose success over failure but god sometimes upsets the plan because he is wiser <laughs> heaven's wiser love rejects the mortal's player blessed O oh, misfortune, blessed art thou, for you have shown me, shown me the face of my beloved. So then, a deeper truth begins to emerge that behind the duality there is something else. It is the same smile. The Krishna of Brindavan and the Krishna of Kurukshetra are not two; they are one. The day we realize that, then we are freed. But for that, equality is important. So when Arjuna is moved by a human emotion on the battlefield. he is deviating from equality and had he followed that trail he may have been regarded by all his tauji and all the grand, grand sires see he is the one honhar he is the fellow see we told arjuna is the best see what a wonderful human being he is had he renounced and walked into the forest he may have become another tirthankar or somebody you know who has renounced but here to fulfill god in life is man's manhood arjuna would have missed the gita missed the vishrup missed god's meaning in him and god's purpose in the world
Therefore, Arjuna must fight. Therefore, Satyavan dies and Savitri chases him in the lair of death. So, we have here equality. As I said, three chapters. The perfection of equality, the way of equality, the action of equality. When we are in that state of equality, then only the true action begins to emerge. Because we are not moved or deviated either by the sting of desire or the preferences of our emotional being or the mind's opinions. So equality is emphasized and of course he speaks about power of the instrument. Right now our body and mind and heart work at a very sub, not only sub-optimal, way below even their present capacities. Partly because we just want roti kapada makan. So all those people who put human beings on this trail of roti kapada makan are doing the grossest injustice to humanity. Because it means man will never ascend for something greater. When he has roti kapada makan incidentally, that's see communism and capitalism, how they operate. Then he wants more roti, more kapada, more makan. And we have, when he has more roti, more kapda, more makan, sorry, roti is bread. Christ told man does not live by bread alone. Kapda is dress and makan is house. When he has these three, then he says, but I want even my neighbor's kapda, clothes. I want that car which he has. I want that house which Ambani owns. There is no limit to man's greed and ambition. So what is what are, what are we really doing? And man moves in a futile circle. And you see, that's how it happens. If you really look at it. So they balance each other. <laughs> reactionary. Where it's like the sannyasi who suddenly goes into life. That's why they try to be a little away. There's this lovely story people must have heard of Buddha and what is her name? Amrapali. It's immortalized in one of the... So, heard about this story? I don't know how many have heard. So, Amrapali is a Nagarvadu. She is a Vaishya. A prostitute, so to say. And one of Buddha's disciples spends time with her. He starts living with her. So, all of the, all the people say, Oh my God, he's such a horrible person. Don't you know? He said, No, no. Just wait. I trust him. I know him. Are you, sir, you don't know. He is now even eating food there. All the three meals. So Buddha smiles. says, will you keep quiet? You think about your business. Why are you, you know, interfering in my disciples? It's my job. After six months, the disciple comes back and says, Master, I have come to you, but I have brought along with me Amrapali. She has realized that all these worldly things in which she was engaged is not the goal of life. She also wants enlightenment. Will you be kind enough to give her enlightenment? And Amrapali becomes a disciple of Buddha. What a marvelous story. So, <laughs> it's a different path altogether. So, this is how, because when he was with her, she learned meditation rather than he degrading and degenerating. So, this is where we have, when the divine works, he works in ways that our human consciousness cannot understand. So there also Shubindo speaks about now the, the, the passage. It's a stairway climb. It's not like from here I just leap. So there is the passage which has been created by the divine. The fourfold personality of the soul through which through rebirth we climb. And then finally we are ready for the action of the divine Shakti. And then comes this wonderful uh, it's not the closing chapter, but uh, the practice part. Faith and Shakti. Two things that all that is one has to remember. Like Shobindo said to Niruddha, after all this background at the end, take home point. He says, all that you need to know is that there is a soul within and there is grace above. He says, sir, are you sure? He says, Yes. And then he says, if faith is there, it is enough to carry you. And even he goes on to say, even a, in, initially faith will not be all the time present. He says, even a hesitating faith, but a blind faith. People will say, this is, uh, how can you are saying you have turned to the divine, this, whatever. No, 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 I just have faith. Blind faith. 
even that is better than the doubting intellect and then he even goes on to say even a hesitating faith swalpamasya dharmasya will carry you through because faith is the key given to us to open the door many have gone those who have gone this way have opened the door to the key of faith that's why shubhendra reminds us the gita says shraddha van labhate shraddha maya purusho that he is man is his faith you want to know what a person is ask what he really has faith in it that is his worth and those who have faith they realize this is the word of the gita and we know shubhendra is Shri Krishna returns. <laughs> Some Bhavami Yoga Yoga. He says the same thing. He says, if you have faith in the divine Shakti, there is nothing impossible. That the same thing he says in the Yoga of Divine Love. Same thing ends up here. That those who have faith will go through, regardless of the dark nights. Even Vedic Rishis went through months of night with the speak of the dark nights. But if you have faith, you will eventually go through. faith does not necessarily make things easier but faith makes it easier to walk through the difficult things so that is the beauty and those who have faith they arrive this is what at the end shobindra reveals to us and it closes with that grand disclosure of the divine mother in her fourfold aspect which we read last time so the synthesis of yoga doesn't stop there there are few more chapters um chapter 26 and faith and shakti is chapter 18 so there are some eight more chapters but they all deal with the now the experience of what supermind is nature of the supermind the intuitive mind the gradations of the supermind the supramental thought and knowledge the supramental instruments how when the mind is changed into its supramental substance the supramental sense even the senses undergo transmutation uh, towards the supramental time vision and the supramental time consciousness and then he didn't write more and people say this is incomplete well i think he went beyond what was needed because all these later chapters are there in the life divine in great detail but here also he mentioned it but obviously um let us reach that point where at least we open to the uh, intuitive mind and the rest of it will come automatically anyways so this is how this is a wonderful book one of the scriptures given to man by shorbindo for those who want to understand the principles behind the practice of yoga and there are many things which are directly related to the practice and of course this is the foundation for those who want to understand what is perfection what really equality means how to establish peace within us which is the foundation or those who want even what is brahman <laughs> so what is supermind that is there here but primarily the focus is on the path the journey and the great goal thank you namaste